any time that you drop a big bomb on anyone like that, there's definitely some resistance for sure. So yeah. you just kind of have to not give a fuck, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, and it's not even like you don't care about their opinion, but you have to live your own life too. Yeah. And you have to be able to show them that you're going to either succeed or you're going to be able to fix your mistakes and kind of prove it to them that, you know, you got this. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, Episode 7. I'm Kellen Panicha, and in this episode, I'll be your only hosts, but I have two guests, Justin and Lara. These guys are an absolute power couple. By combining frugality with stock investing, real estate investing, and a few side hustles, Justin and Lara have an aggressive plan to retire in the coming years and pursue the lives they really want, including plenty of frugal travel and simply spending more time together. So let's jump into the interview. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast. Justin and Lara, they left behind a beautiful single family home to pursue financial independence through house hacking and rental property investing in London, Ontario. After a few years of diligently saving income from their day jobs, they decided to expedite their path to financial independence. In a very short period of time, they have purchased and flipped a fourplex, purchased another fourplex, moved into a duplex, and are currently keeping a close eye out for their next investment. When they're not posting pictures of their cats on Instagram, they're sharing landlord stories and documenting the challenges and successes along their path to financial independence. Welcome to the show, Justin and Lara. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. I'm glad to have you guys. So we always start with back to the roots. So Lara, can you walk us through your background and how you first came to discover the idea of financial independence? Yeah, it's tough because I think that I started out with a very unhealthy relationship with money. Um, I grew up not... I grew up around people that weren't very responsibly spending their money and I decided that I didn't want to have any kind of loans when I went to school so I tried very hard to get jobs to be able to you know pay for my own rent and pay for my school and everything like that and so I think that money made me very nervous um, in terms of not being able to have it so that fueled me into getting into a job and one that would be paying the bills all the time that I would not have to fear not having any money or whatever the case is and um it's a very taboo subject too right like a lot of people don't like talking about it especially family and friends it's a subject people usually don't talk about much we're really lucky to have a meetup where we can all get together and talk about these things openly not a lot of people have that available to them right yeah absolutely it's really nice to know like everyone else's backstory and everyone else's thoughts on money and how they came to want to maybe become financially independent and not rely on their job and Mm -hmm. and you know when Justin and I got married we decided that there's no point for us living in this great big house and continuing to go to work and never seeing each other because he worked shift work and I worked during the day regular Monday to Friday and so it was the thought of how can we spend time together more and that's where we decided that it wasn't through your typical working Monday to Friday or your working jobs that we had. Um, so I think that that's when we started to really want to be financially independent. That's very mm-hmm. cool. So how about you, Justin? What sparked your interest in financial independence? Uh, wanting to spend more time with Laura. Uh, basically, like she said, we bo- were both working our jobs like Monday to Friday or doing shift work. It just didn't leave us enough time seeing each other. Uh, Laura would come home from work and I'd just be leaving. So, you know, we didn't end up seeing each other nearly enough as we wanted to. And we just ended up not wanting to work for our entire lives. Yeah, I think you find a lot of people that just end up being really 
sad and old at work and, and <laughs> some people really love their jobs and, and I don't think that we had that same passion for our jobs. We had more passion in spending time with our friends and family yeah. and each other, which is not that often because once again at work everyone complains about their significant other and yeah. we didn't want to become those people. <laughs> you just end up living living to work, really, you know. Well, I love how you guys are talking about the idea of financial independence just allows you to have spend more time together because a lot of people think, well, what are you going to do without your day job? And, and like, what's life all about if you're not working? But like, you know, how many people wish they could spend more time with their friends and family? Like financial independence is about freedom. It's about giving you as much time yeah, in your life as possible to apply to whatever it is you want to do. And the odds of that being your day job are slim. For some people, it's the case, but for a lot of people, it really isn't. Yeah, those people are very lucky for sure. Yes, exactly. So about a year ago, you guys sold what many would consider a dream home and decided to house hack in a large fourplex. What was your family and friends' reaction when you told them that you're going to do this? Oh, jeez. Uh, it was um, it was mostly like shock. They were kind of like, you guys have your nice jobs, you have the nice house. Uh, next step, you're supposed to have kids. It's really like the cookie cutter lifestyle. And we kind of were taking a big right turn and getting off the path and then just going out in the in the wilderness pretty much uh so you know everybody kind of thought it was the wrong decision and they weren't overly supportive at first um once we kind of showed everybody that we knew what we were doing we did a lot of research and we had a very good support network behind us um people started to see that and trust us a little bit more but um, I shock. think our family was very fearful for us because like Justin was saying, we, you know, we're both government employees. We had the perfect house to raise the perfect family in the perfect neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so they probably felt as though their job was done and, you know, they instilled upon us those things that they thought were important and, and so that they can leave us to continue on our life and know that we would be okay. And, and we dropped that bomb. We also dropped the bomb that, we didn't want kids and that we weren't going to be working for very much longer. So I think that it was a lot for them to take. Yeah. Um, however, there was a lot of some anger that came with it too, which I think that was just seated in um, that frustration of, you know, them maybe not thinking that we would get taken care of. And or the whatever. understanding too. I don't think they understood the concept behind it. Um, right. Cause it's the, just the generations and how it is. You're supposed to get a very good job and then just do your Monday to Friday and then mm -hmm. you retire at 65, 70, you know, and all of a sudden we're pushing to have a, a budget and have financial freedom so much earlier. And it, it, there's part of them, I think, that just didn't understand that as well. It's so. off the beaten path. It's not, yeah. it's not typical. And a lot of people are scared when, when it's out of the ordinary. They're scared, they're scared to step out of their own comfort zone and they're fearful when other people are stepping out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And I, yeah. it's, a, it's a common theme that we're seeing with all sorts of people. At first, at least, their friends and family tend to not really understand. Some of them, sometimes people lose friends over decisions like this. And yeah, I, I mean, like at the end of the day, like you, you want people in your life that are supporting you. And it's great to hear that like, you know, it seemed like people started to kind of understand once you showed like, hey, this is this is really working out for us, you know, you, you were, it seemed like you got more support with yeah, your decisions. Eventually they were, like my parents were coming by and Lars' uh, parents were coming by and helping us with renovations, you know, and giving us good ideas. They could come by and end up painting, bringing over rental materials. So once they, once we showed them that we knew what we were doing, we had a good support network, they 
instilled more trust in us. So yeah. They went through a phase of acceptance for sure. And now <laughs> I think they're at the point of trusting us because they saw that we rented it to really great people and we were able to make money by living there and and then we sold it and and you know no one questioned that decision for us which was really nice because they they trusted us at that point mm-hmm. and now I don't think that they would be fearful for us to say we're buying another one or or we're making this life decision I think the next big step will tell be telling them that maybe you want to travel the world and and mm-hmm. you know there's struggles with that too so anytime that you drop a big bomb on anyone like that there's definitely some resistance for sure. So yeah. you just kind of have to not give a fuck, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. just do it. Yeah. Um, and it's not even like you don't care about their opinion, but you have to live your own life too. Yeah. And you have to be able to show them that you're going to either succeed or you're going to be able to fix your mistakes and kind of prove it to them that, you know, you got this. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So tell us more about your decision to sell this property Many of our listeners probably think, hey, why would you move out of a place where you're living for free, possibly even making money on a monthly basis? What were some of the factors that went into that decision? Uh, I think it comes down to that everybody's got a price. Um, we ended up making it a good product for a investor. So we had a ESA, we had fire, we had a rental license with the city, and we had a very good cash flowing uh, property with high paying, uh, well-streamed tenants. So. For an outside investor, um, just looking at it on paper, it was just a, a brilliant investment. So we put it up for that high price and we didn't even think we would get it. And somebody came very, very close to it. So uh, yeah. Yeah, everyone's got a price and it ended up working out. So It gave us the ability to make our money go further. Um, instead of refinancing, we knew that that was probably the most that we would be able to get out of that property based on things that were happening in the neighborhood. And then we ended up buying the duplex and the fourplex instead and, and not having to really put any money out of pocket because of mm-hmm. what we made off of um, our original investment as well. You know, we didn't have as much of a network at that point and we, it was our first property. It was our first learning experience. So we learned a lot from picking that particular property out in terms of living in it and to be able to pick out two more a year after so you have that years of experience yeah, and the, even, and the really, people like, that were helping us yeah. um, so that we could really decide on two more properties and maybe in a year or six months or you know when you learn something else your mind will change and something uh, else happens but yeah yeah so was there a big difference between living in the fourplex with three other separate units versus living in a duplex with only the one other unit that you guys are in now I feel like we're spoiling ourselves in a way in the duplex because um, it's in a it's in a nicer part of town. I mean, we're in the old north now. Um, the noise is uh, is a lot less. Uh, I mean, we do have three western western girls living above us, so that can get a little noisy at times. But the nineteen year old birthday party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> it's an interesting night. I think with when we lived in the fourplex, we tended to help our tenants out a lot, and I don't think we learned how to. Um, make our tenants self-sufficient or you know ensure that they are more independent and no we'll take care of that for you and we got we got this and Mm -hmm. and i don't i think that that's a really hard mindset to get out of for when you don't live in that a different property so it's about building the systems like when you're living there you don't necessarily have to have systems because you can just go upstairs but now all of a sudden if you have a property that isn't you're not living in yourself now you need maybe you're out of town you need somebody to take care of it 
like you need to suddenly have systems in place, be the right people to call. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a whole different thing than living in a property. Yeah, I think the biggest um, downside to this particular one would be that we're not making money because we're living in the duplex instead of the fourplex. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to just, we love the place that we have. and Yeah, we're spoiling ourselves a little living and there. And compared to living in a single family <laughs> home, you're still coming out ahead. Right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's a place that I think that we can keep coming back to if we do end up just traveling the world we we would be okay with coming back to just the duplex and and it isn't a spot that maybe we could airbnb in the future while we're not there that's the perfect size too so that's nice that's great so besides real estate are there any other side hustles or streams of income that you guys are pursuing to make extra money in the evenings or weekends it's all stuff on kijiji for the most part um (laughs) uh pot stocks as well uh about a year and a half ago we started buying into companies like uh um aurora and canopy oh yeah uh, the big the big names so that's worked out a little bit we've kind of traded off some of those sold and bought uh but that overall i mean we've got a, a crazy return on that's that. awesome yeah renovations for friends too uh, yeah i picked up a lot of uh, trade skills through my dad and uh through my grandfather so i i put that to work either for friends and family and uh, do a little mini jobs here and there, uh, mostly for bourbon and <laughs> around twenty five an hour and a little we'll bourbon on the side. We'll work for scotch. We'll work for scotch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Justin, during our interview with Jeff Weibo, we discussed the idea of lifestyle hacking via the army or military service. Do you have any experience in uh, with serving in the military that maybe shaped your opinions or approach to spending or saving? Um, it's uh, it's easy to. Sp- Spend money, I think, when you have a lot coming in. Um, like while we were overseas, a lot of the income we were getting was tax-free. Um, and we did have access to the internet, so you have all this income coming in. And it's very easy to go online and order things and spend money. Um, so looking back, uh, I would have saved a lot more. And you see a lot of guys coming back from uh, deployment and they'll just buy like a $40,000 truck or something. Wow. Um, I, around 2008, 2009, I ended up investing a lot of my money from tour, uh, which helped, uh, Laura and I like get to where we are today. Um, but yeah, looking back, I mean, try and try and save. Uh, Do you think that was a lot of them came with the mentality of being in the, being in the military? Like we always talk about the, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And yeah. when you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are spending all of their money online while everything they're making, buying that $40,000 truck, that seems like norm. That seems like the norm yeah. to you, right? Like, yeah. And it's it, hard to break out of that. Yeah. You're, it's kind of like the whole, the linear, um, the whole kind of line where your income, uh, goes up and your spending goes up as well. And that's kind of pretty much it. I mean, you end up making more when you're on deployment and your spending goes up equally, right? Yeah. So you you inflate your lifestyle. Along yeah, with absolutely. From an outside perspective, it seems as though when you are in a stressful situation or a stressful job, people tend to want to spend their money that they earn just relaxing yeah. or doing something that they really feel will contribute to their happiness because they've been through... Imperial happiness, maybe. Yeah, so they yeah. think that potentially that... that $40,000 truck will make them happy or or maybe they need to go out and drink and just let off some steam or go mm-hmm. on a vacation and and so sometimes you know that's the the tough thing with having a stressful job whether or not you're in the army or mm-hmm. in an office um, I think that that's how lifestyle inflation definitely happens because you try to make up for that happiness yeah absolutely that's that's interesting so 
If you didn't get into real estate investing, what other paths might have you guys followed in your pursuit to financial independence? Oh, we hmm. thought before we went on vacation with Jeff Weibo that <laughs> we would put, we would just aggressively save. We would put everything into stocks, um, into our RSPs, TFSAs, and that's what we thought. You know, we had that ten-year plan. If we just do this, we can retire in ten years. Now. Mind you, we hadn't met any of the fire people, so maybe the calculations could have been more of a five-year plan, which I think is still safe to say that we would be on the five-year plan. But after learning about the house hacking, that made such a huge impact um, to be able to live for free inexpensively or even make money off of where you live. And like I said, Jeff Weibo had introduced that, us to that concept and then into real estate. And I think that, that fueled it from five to ten years to potentially two years yeah. we're thinking wow. maybe two or less hopefully yeah right? that's so exciting well i can't wait to do a follow-up episode when you guys get to that point <laughs> it'll light <laughs> a fire about... under our asses yeah. for sure i'm sure you'll have good stories at that point <laughs> we'll, we'll do a, a, a skype video from costa rica or something <laughs> <laughs> so you guys recently started some personal branding under the pseudonym mr and mrs dink the idea of being a dink can be controversial for many people and often comes with some preconceived notions. Can you tell us more about what it's all about and explain for anybody that doesn't know what exactly is a dink? Uh, so double income, no kids uh, for the most part. Uh, people are always putting up pictures of their kids and stuff like that on Facebook and we just kind of counter that by just putting up cat photos all the time, I guess, for the fur children. <laughs> um, but it, it's just about... Uh, not wanting kids wanting to spend the most amount of time as you can with your spouse, enjoy um, financial freedom, I think is a big part of it as well. We decided very early on in our marriage that we didn't want kids because we saw relationships deteriorating through them. We saw, um, you know, people thought that it wasn't fair to their children because they were working so much. And we didn't really, ha we don't have the maternal parental instincts. We love our friends' kids, you know, um, our cousins and family. And I think that our efforts are better spent guiding them in their journey because we can be the fun aunt and fun uncle that they really want to listen to and, and help them learn things and explore things instead of the parent that's just been beaten down from... Parenting is hard, you yeah. know? From the outside looking in, it just looks miserable too, Yeah, so, so it's nice yeah. to be able to um, help influence our friends' kids and, and be the best role models for them while being able to spend time to do what we like. Um, I think the other thing too is that it's just a part of breaking the mold. And we thought at first that we wanted kids because it's the same thing that caused us to want the day job and to want that perfect house. And, yeah. and we just, the light switch turned on, I guess. And you just don't do what's normal. And that kind of came with it, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the theme of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, end every episode saying, you know, f being normal, right? Dude, <laughs> do what you want to do with life. Don't, don't necessarily follow that, that path that everybody else is following. Absolutely. Props to parents though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Like we've Looks had, hard. We had Michael Rosehart on the podcast, who's who's uh, who has a child. You know, Jeff Weibo is going to be having a, a kid yeah. soon. Um, it, like, it's even if you have no job, it's a full time job, and there's a lot of respect to be had for that. Yeah. And if that's what people want from their lives, right? It's the same thing. If you if you're if you're happy with your job, like if you're happy with your career, like 
you know, props to those people, right? It's not, it's not necessarily for everybody. Yes. Yeah. And we want to help them. It's, it's definitely, it takes a village. And I think that a part of that village just needs to be able to have the time and the energy to spend with other people's children to help them. Mm -hmm. And to just, you know, if we're parents, it makes it difficult to babysit for other parents and give them some break and, um, yeah, and, and it'll be a lot more exciting for you because yeah. yes. you're not going to be dead. You're not going to be exhausted from looking after your own exactly. kids. Exactly, <laughs> and I think that that really reflects in the great times that you have with those people's children. You could just show up, give them some Red Bull, cuddle them for a couple hours, and leave. You know? yeah. <laughs> Scotch is for teething, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so uh, on this podcast, we often bring up the challenges that come with finding a partner who shares similar financial habits seems like you guys have some you're on the same page with a lot of these things what has your experience been what's the experience been like for the two of you do you guys have any sort of system for managing your spending and saving uh recently we uh got into uh, putting ourselves on a budget uh, i think at the start it was really tough because i had my um background kind of molding of how my uh expenses were were kind of tuned out I think um, it definitely took a little bit. It takes work. Sometimes people are, you know, they find the person that thinks exactly the same. And I don't think that that's very fun. I think that because we think differently, it's exciting and we work together and we have those challenges and we learn from each other. So, Justin, you ended up being able to purchase things and and maybe you were saving a little bit or or you know you would buy something that would last forever whereas I was always so scared to spend money and so you taught me that it's great to be able to have that money and spend it on something that's really important to you or something that's going to last a really long time and I think or I hope that I was able to teach you that sometimes you kind of have to be scared about spending so that like you have to have more of a budget so we definitely were able to work together and it's come a, a long way where and sometimes we'll switch sometimes justin will be in budget mode and i will just be like take my money i'm gonna go eating <laughs> and drinking we, and whatever we and then we'll switch right we balance each other out. at each end of the spectrum you know like i was at the spend kind of spectrum and laura's kind of save and now there's been a lot of compromise and a lot of learning for both of us and we kind of hover around the middle now and it it seems to work really well that's awesome it's a huge challenge a lot of people have i like how you described it as exciting because a lot of people would find it as just the big clash and like it probably would be at moments but it can be an opportunity to learn from each other you each have your own opinions to bring to this and yeah it could be a big learning opportunity can always cause it's a big um kind of trigger for arguments i think in relationships yes absolutely so do you guys, was there anything in particular that you may have found that maybe you, you don't need in order to be happy or something in particular that you're like, oh, this is something that I could buy that, you know, I'll have it for the rest of my life. It is worth the purchase. Um, probably a lot of like material items. Um, I think a lot of people say like, if you haven't used it in like six months or a year or something, why are you keeping it? Like, why do you have it? You know, um, put it up on Kijiji take that money and put it in pot stocks or, like, <laughs> or put it um, put it into something uh, that will be productive for you or will make you more money or, or is going to actually bring you genuine happiness, you know? House hacking um, really showed us what you don't need because we had three bedrooms and three whole bathrooms. Nobody needs that much stuff. Full basement so, too. Just, so when we ended yeah. up house hacking, we were in a smaller space, so we had to get rid of a lot of our stuff and it's so freeing. So definitely the material items, but I think that things that are still important to us would be vacationing together because we're still working, so it would be really nice to see each other 
and I really enjoy food, so I think that I would still be good with spending yeah. on food, <laughs> getting rid of the material items, realizing that certain things don't make you happy and other things like, I don't know, something delicious it, makes me so happy. Yeah, everybody's got like their thing that they really want to keep doing. So like I still love playing hockey, right? So right. I'll still go out and I'll play, you know, I even find good hourly rates for hockey though. So I'm even yeah. still kind of frugal when it comes to that. But Well, that's um, actually what my next question was. Yeah. I mean, what are some of your guilty pleasures then? Well, is there something you guys like to the, indulge in? That the you one sushi. <laughs> so sushi. I was thinking even more expensive. Um, we just kind of slowed down, if not may bring it to a halt. Um, competitive shooting. Um, so Lara and I were doing that for about two years or so, and that was just like you can't even try and budget if you're if you're doing competitive shooting because ammo alone, I mean is you know it could be anywhere from 200 to like a thousand dollars a month for just ammo wow uh, match fees are in the hundreds of dollars sometimes um we were hotels uh firearms repair like yeah yeah, i don't think it's a guilty pleasure anymore um i think that we will potentially still continue to do it recreationally and i think um, versus competitively mm-hmm. and I think that now our guilty pleasures are just things like ice cream and vacations and just enjoying like those like just better things in life well you're seeing the opportunity cost of that money because you saw the value it was bringing you Ian, you had excitement it was an experience that's mm-hmm. great but you could also take that thousand dollars a month and apply it to financial independence at a younger age or freedom from freedom for to do something you want or from something you don't want to do yeah. yes you can really start to just immerse yourself into a particular hobby or a particular sport or whatever the case is but then yeah. when you start to realize this means that i have to retire four years later or however many years later then you really start to say like is that worth it what's my time worth so another recurring question we have for uh, our guests is spreadsheet junkie do you guys track your net worth your expenses do you use budgets and do you typically track these collectively or individually we started to about six months ago i put everything into excel that we were spending and it was so easy to spend on your credit card or your debit card now we're not huge credit card people we just do it for the points and really starting to see how much we were spending. I think that's what we used Excel for the most in terms of the spreadsheet junkiness to figure out what our budget should be by averaging out what we were spending three to six months and saying that's still too much. So we're going to really tighten it up. And after that, we just put all the money into literally envelopes and said, this is how much you have for this month for eating out and groceries. And, and if it didn't work out, it didn't work out, but it happened to had work out. Um, Justin tracks our net worth though, I think more than, more than I would. Yeah. It's kind of like checkups once in a while, uh, like every month or so I'll kind of, uh, poke into the numbers, add things up and it's a good way to really grasp like, okay, where 80, 20, right? Where am I, where should I be spending my effort in order to get my net worth as high as I can in a, in a, in a short period of time, you start seeing like, Hey, like that house we bought and flipped like that all of a sudden our net worth jumped way more than it ever had when we were just saving from our day job. So like. Maybe we should focus more attention on those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely look at the long term where I'm like, what does this number mean? So when Justin tells me a number, I'm like, how many is that in years of work that we still have to do? (laughs) Does that bring it down to down six months or down one year? Does that mean that we, what do we have to do to make it so that it's still the two year goal? Mm -hmm. I love that. That's, that's a great way to look at it. Budgeting was was so far the best though, like having all the the physical cash because you can see it right in front of you in each envelope. So 
for like gas money or for groceries or something, it's very easy to track um, because you take the money out, you put the receipt back in, you write how much you spent. So right. I like that. The envelope method. And you don't I know just tap the card, you know. So. Some people mention spending cash. It feels like they're not even spending money, whereas some people, when they spend cash, that's when they feel like they're really spending money. So Absolutely. everyone feels differently about whether credit cards or cash or what they should be using. Yeah. It's just about like identify what it is that you feel like you're spending money too easily with and maybe stop using that method of yeah. payment. That could be a little tip to you. For <laughs> us, yeah, it was when you open the envelope and it's the middle of the month and you're like, I only have $30 for eating <laughs> bunch of nickels and dimes. So then maybe, maybe you don't go out that week. Maybe you go out the following week or you try to go somewhere inexpensive, but then the rest of our money goes straight back into either investments or right now it's been going back into the properties. Yeah. So everyone seems to think, oh, you have all this money set aside because you only spend this on living and and you know your own expenses but they don't realize literally the rest of it just goes right towards yeah the house so it could be something good to share on like uh your instagram and stuff like you're you know how much are you spending on these renovations oh, to share would, with people yeah. right they would be floored. It's, it's a good number though like sometimes i tell co-workers and stuff like oh yeah for the kitchen reno you know for this whole unit we're probably thinking oh five grand and yeah like, well i paid that to have like you know, a my door installed. Yeah, door. No. <laughs> exactly. It didn't even come with hardware. Well, <laughs> people, we're, we're taking our frugal mentality and applying it to business. And I think not enough people do that with their business. Like, like micromanaging your costs is actually a really great thing for like, not just individually, but for, yeah, for your business. So, uh, let's jump over to Reddit where a user named Velociprime asked to those who, uh, to those who live in areas with seemingly endless food options, how do you balance eating out with home cooking? That's a tough thing for yeah. us. We love eating out. We have no willpower when it comes to good food. Um, <laughs> so the envelope. The yeah, I think mostly the budgeting. It comes back to that. Um, you'll have separate envelopes. So you only have so much for eating out and you only have so much for groceries. And you found that worked for you guys. And that that's just that the definitive way for us. Like it just helps out so much. But now we don't mindlessly eat out. We right. try to find somewhere that's delicious yet inexpensive like elf furniture warehouse they have amazing food yeah. not sponsored by them at all yeah. <laughs> but you can get everything there for five bucks and everything's really tasty and really and good. then when potentially you do go out for something larger like sushi you make it a bigger deal where your friends come out or you you know you make it a social event you go for lunch instead of dinner yeah. or something right you save a little bit of money there or? it's definitely a time time issue too so with Justin and I working, plus the renos and all the other stuff that you have going on, it makes it very difficult to consciously try to go to the market and get something that's locally sourced that you can make it at home. And then by the end of the day, it's maybe it's part lazy factor, part time factor. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think that potentially when we reach financial independence, we would love to be able to learn how to cook amazing dishes yeah. and be able to spend that time getting locally sourced foods i think we'll we'll um alter our budget as well at that time we'll see where we can decrease uh expenditures and increase in other areas that's so, really neat yeah actually i like that idea it's always adapting i think because even the first month we did budgeting we came under budget of our very first month doing it so yeah. of course the um excess just went right into alcohol <laughs> 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 but so, maybe well, conscious consumption yeah, is what yeah. it's all about yeah. Yeah. So now we strive to come under budget all the time, so we can just keep no. <laughs> just more alcohol. Yeah. So, what's the plan for you guys now, long term? Do you guys have a goal in mind that you're aiming for, a dream that you may be pursuing? If so, what are the steps you're planning on taking to get there? 
Um, I think the end goal is not to be tied down anywhere. If tomorrow we want to go on a frugal trip to Costa Rica and backpack for however long we want, like up to six months or something, then we can do that. Um, it's just the general goal of financial freedom that is just so appealing. We want to have no strings uh, tying us down. Obviously, we want to see family and stuff still, but if we want to go do something, we don't want to have a job to tie you down. You know, we want to live our lives and, and enjoy as much time as we can together, I think. so. Yeah, I think that hopefully we can stick within two to five years now as I say it maybe keeps getting cut longer. it down less maybe right cut it down but yeah. um and we're still young enough that if we want to continue to pursue real estate whether it's just house flipping or more rentals or whatever the case is we can do that we can work at a place that really excites us like mech because we love to camp and we love to backpack oh, I would love to that. work there too right so <laughs> and it's one of those things where people work there as a part-time job because maybe you have to but it would be awesome to work there because you really want to. You want to be there. Yeah. yeah and Works then, more fun when you don't need the money. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. You're definitely more passionate about it. So. And if you could help others doing it too, like doing renovations for friends or something. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think it would be great to um, volunteer as we travel too and really meet people because it's very dangerous to stay in the same place for either your whole life or, or an extended period of time because you don't learn from other people. You don't know what life is like like Justin was saying Costa Rica we just came back from there recently so yeah. it's hard to pick anywhere else in the world it's so well cultured right yeah and realizing that they're happy with a small house and you come back and you realize that that's what is life about and then maybe when we go somewhere else in the world you start to kind of it opens your eyes to different cultures different foods different personalities and just way of thinking and and you know you can implement that here and really teach other people right I love that yeah mm-hmm. no I can definitely see uh, how living in a bubble, right? Like if you even living in a, a, just a city for a large period of your life, it's what you, it's the only thing, you know, it's, it's what's normal to you. I grew up in a, in Northern Ontario in Canada and there was, there was a small town and like, there was definitely certain mentalities there that like, you know, when you leave the city, all of a sudden you realize that's not the way that the rest of the world is. And like for better or for worse, it's, it's a bubble and it's good to just expose yourself to like the rest of the world and like grow for anything just to understand how truly lucky that you are regardless of if you're working have no job yeah. or you have a job or something bad happens you know you don't realize how lucky you are until you start to see this and and I don't think that you can properly meet other people where you live without going out and meeting people from all over the world because you do end up in like you said a little bubble or you end up with almost horse blinders on and compounding first world problems that just yeah. build on each other <laughs> and because of the fire network we've um been friends with people that we didn't think we would ever meet in any kind of capacity or even yeah. want to be friends with but you realize um that you should really get to know somebody on a deeper level and it's not just the first five minutes or whatever and everybody's so is. genuine too right yeah. yeah yeah it's no one judging books book by their cover right yeah. just like get to know people i learned that a lot recently this last year too people like i I used to be a lot more of a judgmental person and so i would would see somebody and they'd be acting in a way that i'm just like oh it's one of those people but now i try and get past that first layer and like see like what can i learn from this person yeah it's yeah it's it's not good to be judgmental i think we learned that a lot from being able to go to like these types of meetups and meeting all sorts of different people that have a lot to teach have a lot to teach and a lot that we can teach them so did you guys have a tip that you wanted to share with the audience I think get on kind of the same page about money and budgeting Mm -hmm. and 
not to fight over money because it is honestly not that big of a deal. It's not worth the relationship. I know a lot of people do fight over it and ends up being a power struggle and that's really dangerous. And the most important thing is time with each other and being with each other. Yeah. And then you were saying the question. Um, yeah, I'd say track your spending. Um, it's, it's too easy just to you know spend uh two bucks here and there on a coffee and debit 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 and you don't see the physical money kind of leaving your person in a way you, like it's yeah. not in your pocket where you hand them cash um try and use your cards as little as possible unless it's something like a visa for like renovation material obviously because that's building your net worth anyways but yeah um track your spending uh budgeting has just been a whole new world that we've opened and it's fantastic like it's it's helping us so much i think too don't let people whether they're friends or family deter you of what you have in mind if you want to be an artist or if you want to quit your job and do whatever travel the world um you know try to see where they're coming from but keep doing what you're doing and and don't let them think that you're going crazy because you're budgeting and you're cheap and and just keep going on your path and try to find people that are like-minded and have a support group and and you'll realize that there's more to what you're seeing behind your friends and family frustration and confusion and that other people are doing it and they'll really help you just prove to them that it's okay to be different it's okay to go against the grain and reach out and speak to those people find the the fire people out there you know find the the Dylans, Kellens, and Matts, and speak to them and learn <laughs> Find from your them. people, absolutely. Yeah. So thanks for being on the show, guys. Before we wrap up, we always like to get our guests to ask the audience a question. So did you have a question that you wanted to ask the audience? I'd say what's what's holding you back? Why haven't you reached out to, uh, to the fire people or other like-minded frugal people? And why, and why haven't you taken that step, uh, the first step towards financial independence? Uh, whether it's just joining like a local network of the same like-minded people or, you know, selling your single family house and getting a rental property, even just moving into a duplex. Um, if it's the fear of the unknown, um, just what is it? And yeah. My question would be, has anybody thought of who they are outside of their work and outside of some of their hobbies potentially? Um, it makes it very difficult. I think Matt had posted a video of the dark side of financial independence and trying to find yourself and, and who are you um, after you're a parent? Who are you after you're that employee? What makes you you? Has anybody kind of thought of that and internalized what you would do if you didn't have that job? If you weren't working, who would you be and what would that person look like? That's really interesting. Yeah. So where can people find you right now? Facebook, Instagram, anywhere else? We're on Instagram. We're Mr. and Mrs. Dink. Yep. Wait, it's the Dinks. It's the Dinks. You can find us either way, I think. Yeah. Is it the Dinks? Yeah, I think it's the Dinks. It's the Dinks. It goes Mr. by Mr. both on there. Dinks. I'll make sure to put in the show notes so that people can find you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both of us have uh, Facebook as well under our um, given and surnames as well. So we're always available for contact if anyone has any questions. or. But the most amount of cat photos is Instagram for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show, guys. Thanks Thank for, for having us. us. It was great. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. These guys have been a huge inspiration to me and a bunch of other people. So I really look forward to following their journey and seeing where they take it. So be sure to check us out on the London on Fire Facebook group, themeetup.com, onfirepodcast.ca, and make sure to tune into our next On Fire podcast. 
Thanks for listening. This is Kellen Panicha signing off. And until the next episode, remember, f*** being normal. Buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what Manoj Arora said. You must tell your money how you want to live your life and not the other way around. <laughs>